0: Hi everyone. This is Lindsay, one of the hosts of Yield Crime. Just wanted to give you a heads up that since you are listening to an earlier episode of Yield Crime, you may notice that the audio quality isn't the best. It does get better. I promise. If you are willing to stick with it, great. If you'd rather start with better quality audio, I would suggest skipping ahead to episode 19 when we purchased newer, better audio equipment. And on that note, thank you for listening and on with the show.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, greetings and salutations, and welcome to the Murmur Murders Podcast. If you enjoy deep dives or thought-provoking true crime shows, I'm afraid I have some bad news for you, because this ain't it. But if you do enjoy true crime stories told in 30 minutes or less with a dash of humor and well-timed puns, whether you're on your way to work, taking a quick break, or if you have nothing else better to do with your life, then maybe, just maybe, this is the podcast for you. You can find this podcast on all the major platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many others. Make sure to follow me on social media platforms such as Instagram and Twitter at Murmur Murders. That's M-U-R-M-U-R-M-U-R-D-E-R-S. Hope to hear from you and until next time on the Murmur Murders Podcast.
0: Welcome to Yule Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co host, Maddie Sangle.
1: Hello. Hi. Hey. I like your face. I like your face. Thank you. It still might have pieces of a face mask on it. Okay.
0: So, we today are going to be talking about the second of your topic ideas.
1: For the month of August. Which I already forgot and I'm very excited to find out what it was. (laughs) So this one is going to be about the history of going Dutch. Yeah. This actually works out pretty well because I'm about to go on a couple dates. So I
0: need to
1: read up. And by read up, I mean, listen to you. (laughs)
0: Listen to me and I will tell you all the things. Because
1: you read it. I did. I did all the reading. I don't need to read anymore. I got you. (laughs) you have me (laughs) just stop reading everything (laughs) Menus, texts emails really Lindsay what does this say (laughs) you don't need me to do that
0: anymore you have someone else you can read your
1: shit for you they might leave if I do (laughs) (laughs) he will be like all right bye like all right I tolerated the cat that's kind of a jerk and the dog that pushes me off the bed your cat is kind of a bitch in the best way. Yeah. She's like sassy about it. Mm-hmm. And, like never really malicious, but she does like this. It's just a very typical cat thing of like, this is my house. And, yeah. Like, I love you. And then I'm going to bite your face and then I'm going to walk away.
0: <laughs> and then later I'm going to snuggle up against you and be purring super loud and expect you to rub my tummy. Yep. Like nothing happened.
1: But then I'm going to bite you again and then hide, hide above the fridge because that's what I do. Yeah. So
0: going Dutch, let's do this. History of going Dutch. So information for this episode was pulled from a 2018 Atlas Obscura article by Anne Eubank. A 2017 Today I Found Out article by Melissa. A 2011 The Times of India article by Hadley Shamaya and Wikipedia nice. because Wikipedia and I usually try to have at least five sources for every episode that's good to know
1: actually I kind of wondered
0: but yeah I try to have like five to six sources for all the episodes that I do just to make sure that I'm getting a,
1: like a well-rounded a well-rounded
0: swath of information but there wasn't a whole lot on this, so that's why I stuck with just the four. And I felt like with the sources that I did use, it was enough information where I didn't need to dig deeper, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, it does make sense.
0: So I will have links to all these articles in the show notes, as I normally do. So let's get started. So going Dutch is described as an informal agreement that each person will pay for his or her own expenses during a gathering, typically a date. Okay in general. In general. And this phrase dates all the way back to the 17th century. Wow. Yeah. So we're going to go into the history of how this kind of came about. Cool. So as I mentioned, in the 17th century, the English and Dutch Republic competed for international trade,
1: dominion over the seas, and of course, colonies. Yeah, because why not? Yeah. I want to own all the things. No, I want to own all the things. You can't own all the things because I want them.
0: So starting in 1652, the English and Dutch spent twenty-two years fighting three separate Anglo-Dutch wars. Twenty-two years. Twenty-two years.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: And not only that, but they fought over everything from fish, specifically herring, okay,
1: to what is now present-day New York, the state. (laughs) that's okay that's just kind of funny like they were so petty like they were super petty about fish but then they were also like but like i own everything where the fish is so yeah let's fight every year i wonder you wonder if they had like um Like truces or like timeouts. I don't know what it's called. I don't know. More time. (laughs) Can we have a timeout for our holidays? (laughs) Yeah, twenty-two years is a long time to be fighting an active fight. Yeah, they had three active actual wars, and
0: the rest were more just kind of like disagreements. That's crazy.
1: Yeah, that's so that's dedication. Like you kind of respect it, but also like stop yeah so both of these countries circulated tons of propaganda about the other of course talking trash that's part of any war
0: yep and even went so far into pettiness to consider plagues and fires in each other's country as a form of punishment
1: from god himself we still do that today yeah this is true that hasn't changed no (laughs) if anything uh twitter made it worse yeah no shit And just like a couple of school kids,
0: their feud quickly devolved into name-calling. Nice. Which they would spread throughout their countries and territories with pamphlets and wood cuttings.
1: I really want to see the wood cuttings. Right? I bet they were fabulous. Like, I wonder if, like, people were fat or, like... I'm going to have to Google it because I, I really
0: hope there are some really good ones out there that I can use.
1: This was Dutch Dutch versus who? The English. And what war was it? The... Anglo Dutch Wars.
0: And the Dutch stated that the English were descendants of the devil himself and were born with tails. And the English responded by calling the Dutch butterboxes and drunks.
1: Butterboxes? Is that calling
0: somebody fat? I don't know. Because no matter how much I looked, I could not find what butterbox actually means, other than it's just a derogatory term for Dutch people. Like I looked. Weird. And so this longstanding hatred continued even after the wars came and went. And as the centuries progressed, the word Dutch morphed into a term to describe something as being subpar.
1: Ooh. Yeah. That's the ultimate burn.
0: Yeah. So by 1654, the first use of Dutch as a derogatory term was used in R. Whitlock's Zwaria. It's Z-W-O-R-O-U-I-A. I I don't know. No clue. It was stated as, quote, the contract is not like Dutch bargains made in drink, which insinuates that you can't make any sort of bargain without being drunk.
1: Dang. English are savages. Yeah. And examples
0: of this included the belief that Dutch soldiers needed, quote, Dutch courage, a.k.a. liquor, in order to fight. The term Dutch uncle means a stern and authoritarian figure. A Dutch palate means low class. Dutch feasts are parties where the host gets wasted before everybody else. Uh, Dutch reckoning is used to describe unexpected charges on an unitemized bill. Mm. And lastly, Dutch comfort is a term that means that a bad situation can't get any worse.
1: Wow. Okay. I am so, first off, as a mostly English, more than Dutch descendant, sorry. Like, that's, those are some crazy burns. Mm -hmm. Like, I would be interested if we have any Dutch listeners, like what type of Dutch slang?
0: They have about the English?
1: Yeah, I'd be really interested to find out like, what sort of derogatory terms they have for English people because there has to be something but we just don't know because we're dumb and don't know their language (laughs) yeah
0: it probably is
1: really intense burns like those are nasty
0: yeah so long story short Dutch basically meant that whatever it was describing was considered inferior or the opposite of whatever it was describing and it was often crude or just overall mean and even with all of this the term to go Dutch is actually an American one so we just couldn't let it go. Well, so here we go. So one of the first uses of this term was found in an 1877 New York Times article where they referenced a quote-unquote Dutch treat, which in essence means you're not treating someone at all, with the insinuation being that people of Dutch descent are naturally stingy.
1: So mean.
0: Yeah. Oh, man. And in the 17th and 18th centuries... Many German-speaking groups immigrated to the U.S. and settled primarily in Pennsylvania, hence the term Pennsylvania Dutch. And there are a few different reasons that these Germans were referred to as Dutch. In English, if you were High Dutch, you were from parts of Germany and nearby mountainous regions. High Dutch. High Dutch. Okay. Um, but, but, But no...
1: Sorry, I had to take a brief oily break. It's okay.
0: Low Dutch were people who hailed from the Netherlands. So basically low class. Nice. Yeah. And in the U.S., the Pennsylvania Dutch grew a reputation for not owing anyone anything to the point that even when part of a group of friends, they would
1: insist on paying their own portion of the bill. So like no gifts, like don't treat me differently. I'll just, I'll always pay for it. Yeah. Got it. So whether there's any real
0: facts to back up this claim, Mm -hmm. terming something as Dutch became synonymous with this idea, which eventually morphed into terms such as a Dutch treat, which was first printed in 1873. Yep. A Dutch lunch, which was first printed in 1897. And the term go Dutch, which was first printed in 1914. So the first printed instance of Dutch treat appeared in A Daily Democrat article on June 27th, 1873, and is the following, quote, if our temperance friends could institute what is called the Dutch treat into our saloons, each man paying his reckoning, it would be a long step towards reforming and drinking to excess, end quote. So in that way, it was termed as like a positive thing, because it's like, if people only paid for their own stuff, they wouldn't be drunkards, basically. Right. The term Dutch lunch was first seen in Fort Wayne's Morning Journal on October 24th, 1897, as follows, quote, Perhaps you have a fatter pocketbook than some of the other fellows. I, for instance, can't afford to buy two tickets every time I go. So some of the boys and I go on the Dutch lunch plan, everybody for himself, end quote.
1: Also. Awesome. Positive-ish, because like yeah. he was already calling out himself that he wasn't wealthy.
0: Yeah, like if he couldn't afford to pay for two people, so he would
1: just pay for yeah. himself. All right, we're getting there. We're getting there. Yep. Changing the narrative. Yep.
0: And even though 90% of the time these terms were used figuratively, every once in a while they are meant in the literal sense. For example, in an 1894 newspaper report by Michael Quinion, who was an esteemed etymologist of the publication World Words... Mm-hmm. noted that a, quote, Dutch supper should include rye bread, cabbage salad, wienerwurst, and beer. All right. That works. Yeah. So even though the idea of a derogatory Dutch term started as British insults...
1: This is, I feel like a lot of things in history start as British insults. Pretty much, Yeah. <laughs> It's believed that
0: in 19th and 20th century America, they took on a less offensive connotation in reference to Pennsylvania Dutch. Mm -hmm. In fact, going Dutch when out dining is now considered a form of etiquette in the Western world. Yep. And on the flippity-flop, if you're, quote, sharing Dutch, you're actually sharing joint ownership of some luxury good, such as a plane, boat, car, or other high-end product. By, quote, sharing Dutch you're reducing the overall expense of the gift by splitting the cost.
1: So would that be more of like a couple so going like, in on a car? Or is that more of like knowing your sibling has a Christmas present and then everybody chips in to buy that Christmas present? Yes.
0: Yeah, so that'd be considered sharing Dutch. Or like even having roommates for an apartment, that would be considered sharing Dutch because you're both paying for the same service or good. Got it. Okay. And obviously using the word Dutch has consequences. Yeah. And even today, the Dutch government has issued orders to its officials that they should avoid all use of the word if possible to stop the stigma.
1: That makes sense. I mean, like how long has it been since the 1600s?
0: Yeah. The 17th century.
1: Like that takes a it takes a long, long, long time for things to come out of our vernacular.
0: Yeah. So, and I decided to delve even further.
1: Ooh, listening.
0: I went international with this because what we consider going Dutch
1: isn't the same around the world. Okay, that makes sense, especially if, like, the relationship with the Dutch, like, did you try to conquer me or? Well,
0: and so the idea of going Dutch has different meanings depending on where you are in the world. Okay. So, for example, in countries such as Italy, Spain, Portugal, Greece, or Cyprus, it's considered rude to ask for separate bills, especially when you're part of a large group.
1: Now, pardon my ignorance, but isn't it more of a thing where you fight over the bill? Like who gets to pay the overall?
0: Yes. And typically, and I kind of go into that more with some of the other countries, but typically it's considered the host's responsibility. To whoever
1: like invited people? Yes. To cover the costs i'm i could see that
0: Yep. and in france on romantic dates it is a given that the man should pay or or the woman if it's you know or the baby or the baby whoever is the, the person who invited the other out yes on the romantic date is expected to pay and in a business setting the host party traditionally pays for everyone and it's considered rude of them not to
1: yeah I mean, that's still very real. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, even here, like if you're going on a a
0: business launch, it's expected that your boss is going to cover it, unless noted otherwise. Right. And in Middle Eastern countries, going Dutch is considered rude. And traditionally, the host will cover the cost when they feel they are able to afford the expense. And due to complex societal pressures in countries like India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Afghanistan, Iran, mm-hmm. the practice wasn't adopted originally, but has since become popular and accepted. Okay. And in North Korea, where social systems are very rigid, it's common that the person with the highest social standing will pay the bill. That makes sense. Yep. And among younger younger generations, friends will often alternate who pays the bill, sometimes with one covering the cost of food while the other pays for drinks as an example. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. In the People's Republic of China, during a group meal, they adhere to the same rules as in North Korea, where whoever has the highest social standing will cover the cost of the group. And in Latin American countries, such as Chile, they believe in pooling their funds to cover the cost of the meal when in a group rather than splitting the meal equally. So basically...
1: Yeah, I kind of... I kind of like that too, of like, if you want to cover someone, but want to be more subtle about it, mm-hmm. you could leave like a 20 or two twenties instead of like 10 plus whatever tip. Yeah. Cause like, I, I remember doing that in college when we would go out yeah. to
0: like Perkins as a group or something and it'd yeah. be like, okay, well I have you this time,
1: you know, I can you... cover the tip. If you want, if you want to split it, I can cover the tip. Exactly. And that's just kind of how it would shake out.
0: Mm -hmm. So that, in a nutshell,
1: is the history of going Dutch. Cool. That's interesting. Like, I kind of figured it would have had some nasty connotations just because, um, like, even in the United States, even where we grew up, like, there was uh, a difference if you were Dutch. There was, like... Mm -hmm. Oh, you're Dutch. Like, oh, you're better and like more highbrow, which isn't the case and is totally a problem. And the fact that this has been going on since probably before the 1600s, to be honest, Mm -hmm. you know, like that's just crazy. Because, I mean, to the Dutch, I'm sorry. I think you're great. I will not call you a butterbox, even though I just said the word. I'm not going to say it again. That is the most bizarre. It's thing. so weird.
0: And I have no idea what it means. So if if anyone out there has any idea what that actually means, please tell me because yeah. I could not find it anywhere. Because they said looked
1: it was created by sailors, but I wonder if like they're making fun of like slippery fingers, like they they would fumble or something. No clue. Unsolved mystery, no idea. <laughs> to the ghost of Robert Stack, if you could go in the spirit box <laughs> and tell us what that means, um, and then great. have the theme song because we love you. Do do do
0: do do, do. <laughs> and Because I like having the shit scared
1: out of me. Right. Be like Robert Stack answered us. You know what butterbox means. You're so smart. Go to all of his 16th century sailor friends and be like, Hey, (laughs) minor celebrity Robert Stack,
0: (laughs) I have a question for you.
1: (laughs) These two girls from the future have a question. Yeah, and I like solving mysteries. He loved solving mysteries. Yeah, in his trench coat. Mm -hmm. The first time I saw him in a movie, I freaked out. He had such a minor role, but I was like, What is Robert Stack doing there? (laughs) Like, there's no 800 number behind him. What's going on?
0: Has this whole movie been a reenactment?
1: Right. Is this a dream? Cool. Well, thank you for looking that up. That's awesome. Mm-hmm.
0: So this week's podcast shout-out is going to be the Murmur Murders podcast from our friend uh, John. That's such a good name. Yep. Kudos
1: to you. And
0: he's pretty great. Where's my breadstick, bitch? And... <laughs> He, he will get that reference and he'll probably be the only one that gets that reference. But uh, <laughs> the murmur murders podcast is just this really fun weekly podcast where he talks about different murders and his own unique fun take on them. And they're usually not pretty long. They're not very long. They're, you know, usually around 30 minutes. So pretty quick listens, but it's just, he offers these really fun, unique insights for all these stories that he's sharing that, um, I think are refreshing and funny. Nice. So please check him out. I will include a link to his podcast in the show notes. And uh, yeah, shout out, John. You're great. Thank you, John. You're the best. I like your stuff. You get that breadstick. You get that breadstick at Olive Garden.
1: You get that breadstick.
0: When you hear your family. All right. This week's question. We have another question. hmm Comes from Cindy at the Welcome to the Neighborhood podcast. That's such a cute name. I know. And
1: she wants to know what
0: our favorite horror movie is.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay, so for me, I'm a total baby. Mm-hmm. Like Same. a big old baby. Same. And I don't really watch horror. Same. Just because um, I'm the type of person that literally like absorbs all of it and then has nightmares for like a year. <laughs> yeah. Over, like, one really bad movie that I know is terrible and, like, is not real. And the gore was very much, like, rapid-fire Kool-Aid in a hose or something. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. Like, Nightmare's Forever. Um, so I don't really have a favorite, but I did actually watch Doctor Sleep. Never seen that. It's new. It's with Ewan McGregor. It's the, like, Stephen King sequel to The Shining.
0: Oh, okay. Yep, yep.
1: Really well done. Like of course definitely had some stress dreams from that afterwards it wasn't too bad it wasn't it wasn't that bad but I really enjoyed that and so I think that's the first thing that kind of comes to mind it's not really my favorite because I don't have a favorite because I'm a big old baby and stick to like comedies and cooking shows yeah (laughs) so um yeah that's mine what about you um, I was trying to think about this
0: because I also don't watch a lot of horror movies and it's because even though I could read about murder all day long.
1: Oh yeah. Um, in detail, like you could read the gore detail and you can listen to it. Yep. Yeah. Podcast.
0: There's something about, for me, I get really anxious when I know something is going to happen, like when they're building up to like a jump scare, like, you know, it's coming, but I get really anxious to the point where like my heart actually hurts, like my chest hurts. So for me, it's something where it's like, it's almost like, I can't watch that kind of stuff because it's a physical discomfort for me and it makes me I very. Cons- die. <laughs> I, I, I seriously am legit with all the heart problems in our family, concerned yeah. that I will have a heart attack if I'm watching a horror movie. So, yeah. That being said, super fun. Um, the one movie that I really actually enjoyed watching that I would consider horror, I'm going to have to look it up. Maybe you can look it up for me. Um, it mm-hmm. was. A Guillermo del Toro movie it had Tom Hiddleston in it. It's something hill., oh. I feel like it's something hill Crimson Peak Crimson Peak. Thank you. That is the one
1: I could not watch that, really. I couldn't do it. I started watching it, and then there was like one jump scare, and I was like, nope, <laughs> <laughs> I will see you never and i i I mean I went to Guillermo del Toro had like a a traveling. exhibit Exhibit. and I went to see it and I loved every second of it and did not get scared but nope I can't yeah I couldn't get through it wow you wow I'm impressed by you now thank you there's a lot of blood in that yeah there was a lot of blood in that
0: if we are going to go old school horror I did watch um the omen so that would be my old school horror movie that is my favorite is Zellman. I did it all for you, Damien. I did it all for you. So those are my two horror movies that I would say are my favorite from old school and more recent.
1: Yeah, I just have the most recent one. Because I feel like even with the old old school movies, I've only watched them in portions because I can't.
0: Yeah. And there's... um, But it's one of those things too where it's like, I listen to some podcasts where they like will watch and discuss horror movies and I'm cool with that kind of stuff like I'll listen to them talking about it and be like oh that's not so bad maybe I should watch it and then as I'm thinking about it I'm like no I can't watch it because even though it doesn't sound that bad I know there's gonna be a lot of jump scare shit in there that's really gonna hurt my heart even though even if I go in knowing everything about the movie there will be parts that will get me and I will regret everything.
1: Yep. The movie that I'm thinking of that I couldn't get through because I'm a big old baby was Brightburn. I have never heard of that movie. Oh, It's the, um, basically the anti-Superman. Okay. It's, uh, it's about, um, he, he basically like, so it's, um, what's her name? Elizabeth Banks. Okay. And David Denman, who played Pam's first fiance. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, they uh couldn't have a baby. And then like this alien, they lived on a farm. This alien crash happened and there was a baby and they were like, oh, I love him. And then they like took him and like everything's fine until he hits puberty and then he starts to get his powers. And he is so vicious. Like I, I was able to stick with it until um there's a scene where like he's attacking his uncle in a pickup truck oh there's something that happens to the uncle and like my I was watching it with my parents like um because they've been tr- they've been getting more into horror because we hated it so they like didn't watch it for us because we're delicate flowers um, but the, as soon as there was like this pivotal part in the scene, if anybody's seen, watched this movie, they know. Um, I literally squealed like a little girl and started crying and had to leave. I was like, oh I'm not this my god. Like and it has like eye stuff. Oh and like no. it's so bad. It's like it's so good, you know, like it's it's in incredible like how it was directed and it's visually stunning but like, you know, what's going to happen. And there's a lot of jump scares and there's some really, really intensive, like gore Mm-mm. that I couldn't, I think I probably got through like the first 40 minutes. <sighs> like I, maybe that might've even been sooner, but like the second, the uncle who um, he's been in a lot of like, his name is Matt L Jones. He's been in a lot of like CBS sitcoms and <laughs> like the dopey tall like uncle or dad or brother that's like Uh hi all the time and so when he was getting messed up by this like main character I was like I can't (laughs) so intense but yeah if you really want to like lose your mind and then never sleep again watch Brightburn (laughs) good to know I will never watch it yeah, it has 57% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's honestly probably because it's like, it's just so, it's so messed up. It's a superhero horror movie. Mm-mm. I think Thomas would like it if he hasn't Mm-mm. watched it already. But yeah, I don't recommend it for you because you might die. <laughs> I almost died. <laughs> just left. I was like, I can't be here anymore.
0: <laughs> See, and I did the stupid thing several years ago and was like hey Thomas let's watch paranormal activity together and I did and I regretted it because I had nightmares for like a month right because it's so
1: subtle it's so subtle like so you can always like when you wake up you're like I see all of the things mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. there's somebody in my closet there's somebody. and there were definitely
0: like parts where it's like yeah that's super fake like with the Ouija board like that was like yeah all right whatever But you're right. There were the subtle things where I was like, oh, fucking shit. The thing that got me the worst. Did you watch it?
1: Yes, I did.
0: With mom and dad again. The sound of the footsteps getting super loud, running up the stairs and then the door slamming. That part got me so hard, like nightmares. Mm -hmm. Nightmares. (sighs) All right. (laughs) All right. I need something good now. So let's talk about good things. So I've been taking Kona to obedience classes um, as a refresh for people who may not know about Kona. She is my rescue. She's about eight to nine months old. We don't quite know for sure how old she is. She's extremely intelligent and she's been in obedience classes for about a month now.
1: And why didn't we have them really meet before obedience?
0: Um, the last time that we had Kona and Willie in the same space, it was after we'd had her for like four days. And yep, like clearly too soon. Clearly too soon. And we very quickly um realized that she did not like other dogs. And Mm
1: -hmm. especially bigger ones, because Willie is he's a big guy. He's a golden retriever. He's about seventy-five pounds. Yeah, he's a big boy. Big boy Um, So that was a problem. And
0: so I was understandably kind of nervous about starting obedience training because obviously there are other dogs at obedience training. And, and
1: you've noticed the things at walks too, right? Of her just like kind of overreacting a little bit. To yeah, dogs.
0: Yeah, so she would freak out whenever she'd see other dogs. She's got a really high prey instinct. So she will pull a lot when she sees like squirrels and birds. And basically if there's quick movement in like the bushes, she will go to attention and, and be like, I want that. I don't know what it is, but I want to attack it and put it in my mouth. So she's gotten much, much better with that. Um, I don't want to start any sort of like weird Internet debate, but we use a prong collar, which is different from a choke collar. And we've had a lot of success with it with my previous rescue dog, Chimera. And um, that's what they use at the obedience class, because it just kind of gives them a quick reminder that if you pull really hard and try to do something you're not supposed to do, It's going to be uncomfortable. So you
1: need to not do that. It's part of her breed too. Like her breed has a tougher skin and tougher neck to handle it. Whereas like if I were to do that for Willie, he's all like flabby and it would be really painful.
0: Yeah. So, so yeah, because she's got some pit. And you don't use it all the time. Like you don't keep it on in the house. Nope. We only use it during walks. Like she doesn't wear it in the house. It's strictly for walks.
1: And you also live in, like, a cornucopia of, like... Nature. Basically, You basically live in Snow White. Yeah, I I am basically fucking Snow White. Like, there are chipmunks and birds and rabbits and squirrels. Deer that just, like, go into her backyard at any And eat all you know, my hostas. There have been bears. Anything you can... Anything you imagine is in the Midwest is in her neighborhood. Yeah. Like, like frogs
0: and like any type of bugs. And toads. And I have mm-hmm. possums and groundhogs
1: yeah. and raccoons. So it's more for that. It's more to like keep her from getting something and getting infected with things. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. And also to teach her that that sort of behavior is not okay. Yeah. So if she were to get out of the house, it wouldn't be an issue of, great, now I have a lost dog that's probably going to get hit by a truck because I live in an area with lots lots of trucks. So yeah. it's also to try, to try to teach her to be safe and not do that kind of stuff.
1: And... Well, and she doesn't pull a lot anyway. Like uh, she learned, but she learns, it takes out every walk. Like Willie's the same way. She Especially is
0: night and day better from when we first adopted her. Yeah. Since using the collar. Um, but anyway, so we've been going to obedience class and the first couple of sessions, obviously it's like culture shock because there's tons of different kinds of dogs. There's like 20 other dogs in our class. And even though, yes, it is COVID, everyone wears masks. We're in like basically a pole barn for this class. So oh, we yeah. all are able so you, to... You
1: can have your own like little quadrant.
0: Yep. So we are able to socially distance when we are training. And it's always been that way, even pre-pandemic. Yeah,
1: that's how we, we had a, an extra obedience class with Willie. And that was the same way where you you had like 10 feet. You yeah, had your own little square. Yeah, we have a lot of space to move we very around. Rarely interact with others. Yeah. Unless it was on the docket
0: to train. Um. So the first couple of classes, she was a little like, oh, my God, and kind of freaked out. And the last couple, she's been, you know, going up to other dogs and sniffing them and letting them sniff her and being okay with it. And the last couple of classes, she's been getting friendly with a golden that happens to be in the class. And granted, he's closer to her age. He's like a little over a year, whereas Willie's like he's
1: five. He's this he's a seasoned middle-aged gentleman. Yeah. So the last class we had prior to the get-together with
0: my family for Maddie's birthday, we sat next to the Golden prior to class starting, and Riley got close to Kona, the whole smelling thing, and um, he was like licking her face, and she was okay with it. They obviously did the whole crotch smell thing, as dogs do. Yeah. And, then, and then right before I kind of was going to go call her back, she got into the play position, like let's do this. Let's, let's play like, like front paws down, butt in the air, tail wagon, like let's do this. And I took that as a really, really good sign. Wow.
1: So she, um, like just kind of a a little example of the way she was with Willie when they first met, um, we met in a park for her youngest daughter's birthday party. We had a social distance party and, um, we were walking within like six, eight feet from each other and she would not stop growling or crying or barking and pulling to try to like bite his ankles, mm-hmm. <laughs> She was face off. And any single time anyone approached him like even if it was like my parents who know him or me she would growl and be like he's dangerous like don't yeah like, she was trying to protect all the people thinking that willie was aggressive when he's literally like a cat yeah <laughs> he just doesn't care and it's very sweet yeah he's a big so, old baby that's like night and day that she wanted to play and didn't care.
0: Yep. So when we brought her to my folks this weekend, obviously we introduced them in their, they have a fenced in backyard and we introduced them. Mm-hmm. A big one. We introduced them with their leashes on. So if I did need to pull her back right away, cause there were issues, I could do that. And it was totally fine. Like they did the yeah. whole smelling thing. They did really well. And then she spent the whole day basically just kind of, like, following him around. Like, he was kind of showing her how to be a dog. Like, she was, was just...
1: so cute. She had, like, googly eyes all the yeah. whole time. Yeah. And she would, like, follow... She would mimic his movements. Willie has a baby pool that he loves to swim in um, when he gets overheated from playing ball. And so her oldest daughter helped her, like, get into the pool to, like know that it, what it feels like and that it's okay and she actually voluntarily went in the pool a couple yep. of times which was a big deal because it was really gross like willie gets it nasty and like because yeah.
0: well and she, she she was like curious like well why does he keep going yeah. in here what's in what's in here um mm-hmm. So it went really well. It made me feel good about future get togethers, knowing that they will both be able to be in the same room together without like riling each other up to the point where we have to separate them. And that's something we had to do with my last dog because they would be playing so much to the point where they were like wearing each other out. Mm
1: -hmm. And we'd have
0: to put them in separate rooms so they could like calm down and breathe.
1: Yeah, because Chimera... Loved so much and loved to play so much. She didn't know when to stop. And Willie wears out really easily. And he gets snappy mm-hmm. when people, when you antagonize him. And she didn't know that she was like, Kymeer was having the time of her life and Willie was like, I will kill you. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm really hopeful for like future gatherings because um, since Willie is a service dog, I do bring him to your house if I can. And I, I bring them to my, I bring them everywhere. So the fact that, um, in like what, four weeks, five weeks, Mm -hmm. four weeks, four weeks, they're already good friends. There was no growling. If it, if there was growling, it was like a play thing of like, yeah, let's chase each other. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was, that was probably the best part of my birthday was knowing that our dogs get along and, Mm -hmm. My parents' little dogs um, have yet to accept Kona, but it took them five very carefully curated visits Mm -hmm. to tolerate Willie. So you'll have to do that like later on where um, like mom and dad had leashes. We went to the park down by their house as like a neutral zone. And like the whole time... There's a my parents have Maltese mixes, Gracie and George, and Gracie is the alpha, and she's like she's got a big bark. She's got little dog syndrome, only she she actually like carries it out. Mm-hmm. So um, it's kind of funny because all the big dogs that she's ever encountered have been like what? Yeah, they're like she's just like I'm gonna murder you with my face, <laughs> and they're just like bitch, what are you doing? Yeah, and George only he attacks because she would attacks yeah so, yeah otherwise he doesn't care no he really doesn't care at all he's uh he's such a neutral dude so that will be a, to be determined but i think i think that'll happen too with time mm-hmm. but yeah we have friends yeah, yeah. our children are friends mm-hmm. very nice thank you for the tangent you should put like a Heads up, we're going go to go into a dog talk for like 15 minutes. So
0: you can find us online at yeoldcrimepodcast.com and follow us on social media at yeoldcrimepod on Twitter and yeoldcrimepodcast on Instagram. You can also email us at yeoldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think of the show, any stories you'd like to share, or, you know,
1: you could just tell us that we're pretty.
0: Just say hi. Help us name... Um, our Plague
1: Doctor mascot, because... I vote Hank. You should agree with me or get out. No, I don't Hank. like Hank.
0: You don't like Hank? I don't like Hank. I, I want something
1: I want something different. He doesn't look like a Hank to me. He looks like a Hank. No, he's handsomer than a okay. Hank. Okay, we'll leave it to the people. Yeah, you guys need to let us know what we should call him. Because we're definitely siblings and we're already arguing about it. We're already arguing about <laughs> what's naming.
0: It's not going to be Hank. It's totally going to be Hank. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider giving us a five star rating or review on Apple Podcasts, or you can do it on PodChaser, wherever you listen, um, mm-hmm. as it helps us out. And if you want more content, like some bonus content, you can become a member on our Patreon, which you can find at
1: Yield Crime Podcast on Patreon. And as always, I'm Lindsay, and I'm Madison, and